You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, it was one of those times when you say to yourself, I can't believe I just did that. You ever heard yourself saying that to yourself? I can't believe that I just did that. We were on a we, we were on a little road trip together as a family, and Leanne and the kids, we loaded up in the van, and we're off to, to visit a place that I had driven to a few times. Certainly wasn't my first time there, and I, I knew the way, although I did before we go. I did have a quick look at the map and just, just to sort of double check and make sure, and off we went. And my memory of this road trip for the first hour and 15 minutes was, was really great. I mean, I, if I remember right, the kids were watching a movie in the back, and Leanne and I were having a little, just a little couple time in the front as we're driving along the highway and enjoying each other's company. In fact, I distinctly remember at a certain point of the journey thinking to myself, this is just a great day and a great road trip and just, just loving it and enjoying it. But then after about an hour and 15 minutes, I, I heard another voice in my head and it was this voice saying, where are we? <laughs> and then the next thing I said to Leanne, I'm like, are are we where we should be? She fired up the GPS, which I thought we didn't need for this journey, and looked on it, and to our shock and amazement, we were about 100 kilometers in the opposite direction of where we should have been. And you think, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. About 20 minutes into the drive, there was an option. I could take this highway or take this highway. I took the wrong one. And for all that time and space, we were going in exactly the wrong direction. Now, I was, needless to say, a little frustrated. We went from being really going to be early and if not on time to being super late. And then there's the, the backpedaling and then I, I can't believe I did that. It was a very frustrating experience. But I think what was most frustrating about it is the fact that not just that I went the wrong way, but that at numerous points along the way, there was, there was messages in the forms of signs that should have been indicating to me, you're going the wrong direction. Starting with the big 12 by 24 sign that had the name of the highway and a big arrow saying, go that way, and I went the other. When it comes to our lives, we can go a long way the wrong way if we don't pay attention to the messages that we need to hear. We can go a long way the wrong way if we don't take note of the messages that we're given that we need to hear. We can wind up far from where we could be, far from where we should be, far from where we want to be when we don't pay attention to the instruction, to the direction of, God's, of God and his word. What you do with the word of God in the present right now will have an exponential impact on your future for the better or for the worse. Whether you obey it, whether you apply it or don't, that will have an exponential impact on your life. I say exponential because if you go the next day going the wrong direction that God would have you, the next week going the opposite direction that God would have you, the next year that the, uh, the opposite direction that God will have you, you will find yourself exponentially far from where God wants you to be. That's one of the reasons why I, I love that word from Joshua. And Joshua 24 is so, is so impactful to me when he says, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. Right now, choose this day whom you will serve. Because every day that you delay or you waver is a precious day in your life and is leading you astray in the wrong direction. Getting you off track from where God wants you to be, from your true purpose and meaning and joy in this life. Well, our scripture text today that we're going to study is given to us to point us in the right direction, to push us in the right direction, and is, I believe for many of us, a timely word from God to, for some, to yank you back on course 
and maybe for others to show you what that course is anyway in the, in the first place, or at least to encourage you along the way. And I so want you to see that passage. Will you turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes? And our passage here is Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, through to chapter 12 and verse 8. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, through into the next chapter, chapter 12, and verse 8. Our teaching series is called Making Sense of Life. It's, uh, we're just calling it Wisdom for the Real World from Ecclesiastes. The, the author who we believe is probably Solomon. We don't know that for sure, for sure, but it certainly contains Solomonic wisdom. He's writing about really finding meaning and fulfillment and true joy in life. And that's the theme we see very, uh, that features prominently in our text today. But we'll notice that it's especially directed toward young people. You'll see what I mean. As we read, we're going to see that there's two imperatives that I'm going to present to you today as choices. In fact, the title of my sermon is Two Life-Changing Choices. There's two imperatives that I'm going to present to you as choices, and I'll, I'll highlight them for you as we read. Okay, so let's begin Ecclesiastes 7, or 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. That's a theme again and again, isn't it, throughout Ecclesiastes, that life in this world, if you remove God from the picture... And just look at all the temporal realities and pursuits of this world. They're all really empty. If your path isn't leading to God. Now notice what he says in verse 9. Here's the first imperative. Rejoice. See that word? Rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity or fleeting. So the first imperative is rejoice. Now here's the second one, chapter 12, verse 1, remember. So rejoice and now remember. Remember what? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. See the emphasis on young people. It's not exclusively for, but especially for young people. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What's he talking about? He's talking about, don't get upset with me. He's talking about old age. He's talking about old age. Those years, and you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 2, Be, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Here's a poetic description of old age. We'll circle back to it in a bit. And the grinders cease because they are few, middle of verse 3. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up with the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped. Or the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. What's that talk about? It's talking about death. death that, that, that's coming. And so the message for young people is you need to pay attention to what I'm saying here. Because the day is coming when you won't have any more days. And I know you think that you feel like that's not going to happen, but it is. And then verse 8, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. You remove God from the picture and look at life as it is under the sun in this world. And you're looking for meaning and fulfillment and purpose and joy. You'll find it's fleeting. 
Life is short. Life is temporary. Here's an important word for us. Well, two main imperatives. Rejoice. Remember, two choices that will make a huge difference in the direction and fruit in your life. And the sooner you make them, the better. So let's start with the first one. Rejoice. I think for verses 7 to 10, the main thrust there is this. It's a call to rejoice in the goodness of living life. To rejoice in the goodness of living life. That verse 7, that little poetic line, did you see that about light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun? I, I think it's a poetic way of saying, hey, listen, listen. If you woke up this morning and you opened your eyes and you got blood coursing through your veins and there's breath going in and out of your lungs and you're top side of the soil, you're alive here on planet Earth, that is a good thing. It's a good thing. He's saying here, life is good. Life is good. Now, you may hear that this morning, like, ah, I don't, you haven't been following me around this week. I understand. We'll get to that in a second. But understand, though, that mainly here, the point is not wrong. In fact, it's quite right. The reality of life and having life is a precious gift from God. Life is good. And the call here is to enjoy it, to find joy in it. Rejoice in the goodness of living life. Now, he doesn't mean that everything is good. In fact, he, he says as much, doesn't he, in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So he, he's not naive. He's not just, hey, life is good, right? And where people are saying, no, it's not good. I know there's lots of things about life that are not good, but life is good. Rejoice in the goodness of living life. So he doesn't mean that everything is good, and he also doesn't mean that then anything goes. So don't, don't, get, the, don't get the message wrong. Verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and you let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And so you could say, well, that almost sounds like that's almost a little dangerous preaching, right? So just sort of follow your heart and, and, and just go for it. No, that's not all he says. No, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So he's not saying that everything is good, and he's not saying that anything goes, but what he is saying, what he does mean, is that we are called to find enjoyment and gladness in and through the things that are good including your life itself, and, and all that it consists of. So, so I think about the goodness of living, and there's particular things that come to mind. Like I wrote down some things that, that land on me is particularly good, like, like summer warmth. I love, I love the warmth of the summer. Actually, true confession, before first service this morning, I was coming up the back stairwell, and the door was open, welcoming some of our wonderful people in, and I felt the blast of cold air coming down the basement stairs, and I muttered under my breath, I hate winter. <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy winter. Maybe, maybe you like winter. I don't fully understand you, because the cold bothers me. But you know what makes me feel good? The warmth. I love, the, I love the warm summer air. There's just something about it that just makes me go, oh. that's not all I love. I love the sound of water, like water whooshing, not water dripping from where it shouldn't be in the house. That I don't like that. Those are vexatious, vexations for sure. But like the water of the, the lake, Lake Ontario, I love standing at the lakefront and just listening to the water or the, better still the ocean crashing into the beach. I love that sound. I love the sound of birds in the morning. My wife doesn't like the sound of birds in the morning because she's one of those people, and some of you are like this. As soon as you're awake, you're awake. But I'm a snooze button kind of a guy. The birds don't bother me at all. I find it peaceful. I love the sound of the blue jay. How many of you love the sound of the blue jay? I love just a few. There's just something about the blue jays called, I don't know what, and I know I'm a baseball fan. I do like the blue jays, but the sound of that blue jay is, I, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it to you. It's just, it just brings me joy. I know I probably mentioned him too much, but I like my dog a lot, too. He's a handsome dog. He's a good boy. He's so cute. And he's so loyal to me. He likes me all the time. I, I appreciate that. He, he gets me. I love people and family. Just last night, it was the Kearney family Christmas party last night, and Spending some time with some of my favorite people, eating some of my favorite foods like turkey and stuffing with plenty of gravy. I sit there at that table and think life is good. Yeah, that's true. Not everything in life is good. 
But there is goodness in living life, and it's a gift from God. And that's the call here. Rejoice in the goodness of living life. Rejoice when you are old. That's there in verse 7 or verse 8. Did you notice that? If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. It's, it is really something, those of you who would classify yourself as old, whatever age that may be, or maybe you're in denial, but if you've had many years, think about the fact that you have had many years. There's lots of you who've had more years than many other people who've walked this earth have had. And yes, surely those years are marked by difficulty and heartbreak and sorrow. And yet, you can't deny, you can't deny that there's goodness in them all too. God has given you, the more years that you have lived, God has given you more years to serve him, to know him, to experience him in special and unique ways that are unique to you. In this life, it's a special thing to live into your older years. And he says here, if you've had many years, to rejoice in them all. How many years has God given you? Years of rejoicing. See, I think part of the point for those who are not so young anymore is this, is that life is to be enjoyed, not just endured. There is endurance required, no question. But not merely endurance, also enjoyment As God gives you years to serve him and to experience him, there's goodness in that. And the call here is to rejoice in that, recognize that, find gladness in that from God. Rejoice when you are old, rejoice when you are young. And that's the special emphasis here. As we read through that, we could see he has especially in mind young people, directly addresses young people. He says in verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. It is a special gift from God to have youth. I don't mean youth in your life, although that's a special gift from God. But I mean for you to be young and not old yet. To have a kind of vitality and capacity and opportunity that you may have less of later is a special thing. Don't take it for granted, loved one. Don't take for granted the mercy of God that as fallen creatures, we still have such a thing as youth in our lives. Like when Adam and Eve first sinned, like everything was broken in this world, including us. And God said, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. And eventually they did die. But it's amazing that, I mean, we live in a world, you know that we live in a world that is cursed, right? We are under a curse, a judgment from God because of sin. And that's why, that's why our bodies do break down. That's why there is death. But don't overlook the mercy of God that you have a season in your life. And I know it's not the same for everybody. There's exceptions. But broadly speaking, the mercy of God that there is such a thing as being young before you are old. There is a time when your knees work and your back is straight and your teeth are all in your head. And you can hear things. You can still see things. There's, there's something about that. Do not be taken for granted. And those who are older or senior saints in the room would concur, right? That there's something. And they, they look at you and say, oh, to be young again. And they're not, it's not nostalgia. It's just that they just walked you, just run up that flight of stairs. I used to be able to do that. Now, oh, to be honest, there's something with the realities of the fall that will catch up with us. He says the evil days will come. But rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. I think it's so, so important. Be glad in God in these special days that you have. And verse 10, he says, avoid things that are bad for you. You see that, verse 10? Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. See, it's temporary. It's a short window, and you you can really shorten it by messing around with things you shouldn't be messing around with. I think about the effects of illicit drugs on the human system. Be that drugs that people, the world thinks are, are leisurely and permissible or harder drugs. I think they all mess with you in different ways. You need to be careful. You need to be wise. Or the effects of getting into illicit sexual relationships and the, the harm that can bring to you physically, emotionally, mentally. It's serious. Here's the reality, and I just it may sound weird to say, but it's true. There are people in their 30s who look like they're in their late 50s. 
because of some choices that they've made. And not merely choices, but there have been choices. And that's what he's saying here in verse 10. Listen, this is a fleeting temporary time for youth. Rejoice in the goodness of living life when you're young. Walk wisely in that. I got thinking about joy and what inhibits our joy, and I wrote down five things, just five things that I think of that inhibit our joy. See if any of these relate to you or resonate with you. The one I put down, the first one I put down is what I call free-reigning fears. Free-reigning fears. Like if something has free reign, it's just allowed to, to go and to do its thing without being stopped. The point, what I mean by free-reigning fears, we all have different fears. But the Bible says, in fact, the most frequent command in the Bible, most frequent directive in the Bible is do not be afraid. And so there's a call that those fears must be checked, and we've got to fight those with prayer and with faith and with the truth of God's word. But free-reigning fears have a way of really sapping the joy that God intends for us to have in him. And it happens to young and to old. Older people have different kinds of fears than younger people. Older people, maybe it's, it's financial security and the complications of your health and aging. And maybe you, you startle easier than you once did. There's, there's just new realities and fear takes on new faces. But young people have fears too. Fears about the future, fears about big decisions, fears about being alone. Lots of different fears. But we're called not to fear because we've got one who we, we have this God in our life who we can trust. And we're called here, part of enjoying the goodness of life is trusting in the goodness of God in the face of our fears. I also put down this boiling bitterness. Boiling bitterness. Like feeling like you got a raw deal in life. And it's a bit of anger mingled with resentment. And it can happen when you're old. It can happen when you're young. For older people, maybe some are bitter about how things have turned out in your life. Some of you, and it's just, I'm sorry to say it, but it's true, and you know it's true. There's some of you, you are bitterly disappointed with how your life has turned out. Your family didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Your career didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. Your health is not turning out the way you wanted it to. Your marriage is not turning out the way you wanted it to. Lots of things that have not gone the way you planned the way you wanted. And that can create in the human spirit a low-grade boiling resentment about the path that I've taken and the lot that I've received from God. Young people, similarly, can deal with this boiling, low-grade boiling bitterness, maybe angry over strife in their life, their upbringing, how about this one? This would be a raw nerve for some of us. Parental favoritism. It never got said, never got stated, but the fact is, is that you know there were favorites in the family. And it wasn't you. Everybody can deny it and say, oh, no, not around. But you know. And it eats you up. Boiling bitterness. I'm not minimizing the pain that some of you are experiencing today. But if you persist with a low-grade boiling bitterness, you will not rejoice in the goodness of living life. There's a call for you to turn to a God who is sufficient and to seek him to bring healing to your heart. Maybe to get into the hope group on Monday night with some brothers and sisters to help lead you to Jesus with your sorrows, to push back against that boiling bitterness. Another one I put down, another joy inhibitor, gut-level guilt. All those things when you review your life and you say, I, I wish I had, or if only I didn't, or if I could just do this over, I'd... Dear friend, you're not alone in saying those things. But you know what you and I need to do? We need to get hold of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a Savior Jesus who came and paid the penalty, died on the cross for your sins, so that when you trust in him, the God who is the judge forgives you. So you, therefore, can forgive yourself. You're not the judge. He's the judge, and he forgives you in Jesus. So you can find forgiveness even for yourself. In the face of gut-level guilt, 
Or how about, here's the fourth one, another joy inhibitor. I wrote this down. Constant comparisons. I'm sure nobody here struggles with this, constantly comparing themselves to others. But maybe you know somebody that kind of does this, and you could pass this along to them, that it will make them miserable. If you constantly compare yourself to other people, you will live a miserable life. You will not experience the goodness of living life. You won't rejoice in it. And comparing yourself to other people, it's like no matter what you do, it's, it's going to go badly. In some cases, you'll compare yourself to somebody, you'll be proud because you think, well, I'm doing better than them. Oftentimes, we compare ourselves to others and we feel discouraged because of just well, how they look and what they have and what they get to do and what other people think of them. Makes you proud, makes you discouraged. But the reality is, loved ones, that often when we're comparing ourselves to others, we're, we're, dealing, with, we're dealing with superficial impressions, faulty judgments on ourselves and our own part, and often not real presentations on theirs. We find ourselves looking at others and assuming a lot of things. If only I looked like her, if only I had what he had. You don't know what they have in their life. Shut off Facebook, shut it off. Yeah, I'm not down on it altogether, but I am down on it largely because oftentimes it's, it's a means by which we assess ourselves and give ourselves value. And what? Over a curated presentation of their life? Yes, their grandkids are cute, and isn't it amazing they got to spend a day with them? But they didn't show you the video of the huge fight they had in the car on the way there. They don't show you the misery that they have. Yeah, they've got it all together, and wow, their Christmas, their Christmas decorations could be on TV. But their marriage is imploding. And you don't know. And you compare yourself to something that's not even real. It's no way to be joyful. Listen, God made you in Jesus to be you. You're not going to come before the judge and have him say to you, why aren't you more like your brother? You may have a parent in your life who says that. But your heavenly father won't. Hear me? Loved ones, just plead with God to take away this comparison. There's a healthy kind of comparison where we see a godly example and seek by faith for God's work in our lives to make us more like Christ in the fashion that that person is. But other kinds of comparisons are destined to disillusion you and disappoint you. One more thing I put down is felt insignificance. Felt insignificance. There's lots of young people that feel quietly in their hearts, I'm never going to amount to anything. And I got nothing to contribute. And then there's older people who feel that they're just no longer needed and pushed to the sidelines where once they were depended on, where their opinion was sought after, where they were counted on for decisions, now they feel passed over, unneeded, sometimes unwanted. Felt insignificance we got to push back against this. The true value of your significance is not found in your own estimation or in the judgments of others, but in the one true and living God who's given you his son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem you, to make you his, their significance. Beware of these joy inhibitors. I wonder if any one of these in particular resonates with you, think about that call to rejoice in the goodness of living life. It's a call to joy in God. And that actually leads to, I think, an important question. The, the call here is to rejoice, and we've, we've thought a bit about some of the joy inhibitors that will get in the way of that, but it still doesn't really fully answer the question. Like, okay, rejoice in the goodness of living life. Okay, I hear you that it's good to be alive. Life is good, and, and not everything about it is good, but to be alive is good. To have life is good. To have years is good. To have youth, to have wisdom, these things are good. Okay, but, but to rejoice in that, how, how do you do that? Like, like how, how do you truly rejoice? Surely you don't just, just decide, okay, I'm going to rejoice. That, that, that doesn't cut it. How, how do you find the kind of joy that he's talking about here? I think he shows us, actually, in, at the beginning of chapter 12, in verse 1. The first imperative is to rejoice. Now, I believe this section carries on into chapter 12, where now he tells us how we can rejoice, and it's in these words. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. See that word, 
remember. Make a note of this. True joy in life comes from knowing your creator. True joy, true rejoicing in life comes from knowing God. He's the source of true joy. He's the source of satisfaction. And that's what the the author means here when he talks about remembering. Remember also your creator. The word remember here means, it, it means way more than just don't forget. Okay, I think this is important for you to see. You and I, we see that word remember, and it's like, oh, yeah, don't forget something, right? Like, try, try to recall something. It means way more than that in the Old Testament context. It ca- instead, it carries a sense of always keeping something or someone at the fore of your thinking, at the fore of your acting, at the, at the heart of your pursuing and deciding. When you are remembering your creator, you are living your life with your creator at the center of it all. That's what it is. For example, you see this word like Deuteronomy chapter 8. This word remember is given to the nation of Israel. It has to do with being faithful and obedient to God. Or Nehemiah chapter 4 has to do with being motivated and strengthened by remembering the character of God. So knowing him and knowing who he is and what he's like has an impact on me to push me forward, to give me greater faith and greater courage to act for him and a a greater resolve to obey him, a love for him. As I remember him, I'm not just like, oh, yeah, don't forget about God today. No, my, my focus is on him. He's in the middle of it all. It's a direct challenge here, especially to young believers, to choose today to make God central in your life. To make God the the decisive factor in your decision-making. To make him the, the, the source of your passions, him and what he wants and his heart for you and his plans for the world. It has to do with making him number one, number one in, in every arena of your life. Your education, your work, your dreaming, your choosing, your love life, right at the center, at the very heart, at the very core It's living with the conviction that my life is for God. He is, remember, notice, he is my creator. So I am here because of him. And if I'm here because of him, I'm also therefore here for him. That's at the center. That's you see, this isn't so this isn't just, hey, don't forget about God in your life. No, it's like God is your life. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So today, young person. When you're not yet old, remember him. He's, he is your life. All the things, whether you're young or old, all the things that you enjoy, that you find pleasure in, whether it's that meal that you've had or this church family you're sitting amongst or it's that golden lab retriever who I so love, maybe too much, but I love him. All these things are not joys in and of themselves, but instead are expressions of kindness and mercy and goodness from the God who created them all. See, when I walk my dog or rub his belly or whatever, sorry, the dogs, just, I really like him, but when I do these things, yes, I find joy in that, but it's not about the dog. It's about the God who, why would he give me anything, let alone a dog I enjoy? Because he's good to me and kind. And when you know him, you rejoice in him. That's what we're talking about. Remember your creator. Make a note of this. I have nothing apart from God. Nothing. Like, he's the creator. So therefore, when it comes to all that is created... I've got nothing apart from him. So it's not much further along we go in that thinking before we realize this, that real lasting joy comes from him. All the goodnesses, all the things that we might look to in our lives and say that is a goodness. It's a goodness from God. God has not designed us to experience true fulfillment, meaning, or joy apart from him. That's this consistent message about vanity of vanities, 12 verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Because everything apart from him, no matter what kind of pleasure you derive for it now in the moment, will ultimately run out. And you know what else? You're going to run out too. 
Ashes to ashes, they say at the graveside. Dust to dust. That's from Ecclesiastes. I have nothing apart from him. Real and lasting joy comes from him. There is a God-sized hole in me that only he can fill. Now, what we have in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 2 to up to basically verse 8, is that we have a powerful, poetic description of old age. And the purpose is not to commiserate with those of you who might find yourself in old age, but the purpose is to instill in the young person a sense of urgency to don't wait until you're old to get after God. Get after him now. The author is not saying that there are zero pleasures and joys in old age. He's not saying that. I know it may sound like that, but he's not saying that because he said back in chapter 11, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. He said there is joy to be had in being alive at whatever age you're at now. But the point is for the young person who tends to delude themselves into thinking when they look at that person struggling to get up the stairs or trying to remember names or places or things, he is disabusing the young person of thinking that that's not ever going to happen to them. And to call on them to say, listen, you've got something right now that you've got for a limited time. And so listen to the voice of wisdom. It is an older person here who's giving wisdom to the young person to say, you got one shot at this life, one shot. Let's go now. So this is what he says. It's kind of, it's a little unnerving and maybe it's a little sensitive depending on your stage of life, but here's what he says. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, verse one, chapter 12, before the evil days come. Note that word, that phrase, before the evil days come. They're coming. And the years draw near which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light And the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. A poetic way of saying that there's difficult days ahead because of the effects of the fall on the body. Old age has got a lot of problems with it, a lot of challenges coming. Verse 3, he talks about the day that will come when the keepers of the house tremble. Now, this is really interesting. In these next few verses, there's some poetic descriptions, again, of old age. And Bible students and commentators they got lots of differing views on what these things mean. I'm going to tell you what I think they mean, and uh, you, can, you can weigh it accordingly. So verse 3, there's a coming day when the keepers of the house will tremble. I think he's talking about there the hands and the arms. They'll tremble. Don't be as steady as they once were. And the strong men, the strong men are built. What are your strong men? Well, I think it's your legs. This is, your, this is the powerhouse of the human body, your, your legs. But there's a coming day when they won't be as strong as they are. Now, it could be your back, too. I know what the next one is. And the grinders, see in verse 3? And the grinders cease because they are few. You know what those are? Your grinders, your teeth. And they, it doesn't work as well because you have less of them. And maybe you've bought a few along the way just to get you through. That's fine. But you know what I'm talking. You know what the author's talking about here. And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors in the street are shut. I think a picture of our eyesight, failing eyesight. The doors in the street are shut. You're hearing. You're hearing. Talks about the sound of the grinding is low. Right? It's quieter than it used to be because your ears don't work as well as they once did. Verse 5, he talks about being afraid. They're afraid also of what is high. Now, I've been afraid of heights as long as I can remember. But I think the point is that there is, with old age, there comes a kind of vulnerability that is new that you didn't used to have. He says in verse 5, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the, dra- the grasshopper drags itself along. It used to boing, boing, boing. But there's no more boing in their step. Just, just get out of my way, I'm coming. And it happens. And the desires fail because man is going to his eternal home. It's a sobering picture of the body that fails. And the point is not to commiserate with those with failing bodies, but rather to call the young person to see your life is shorter than you think and the window more narrow than you realize. And the call is more urgent than perhaps you feel. The means by which a person enjoys life in their youth 
becomes diminished in their older age. It does not mean that older person cannot serve the Lord, far from it. But the call for the young person is to not take for granted the life that God has given you and to pursue him passionately now, finding your true joy and purpose and meaning and fruitfulness in knowing him. The effects of the fall cannot be stopped in this time in redemption history. They will be reversed one day. But in this time of redemption history, the effects of the fall cannot be stopped. And time flies and life is shorter than you think. Reminds me of uh, a young woman that I had the privilege of doing her wedding for her uh, just a couple years ago. Although time flies, maybe it was longer than, than I think, but doing her wedding was a special joy because I, I've known her since she was a little girl. And I knew the groom, too. I've known him for a long time, but I knew her longer and known her since she was a little girl and did the wedding. It was just a beautiful, beautiful setting. It was on a big uh, piece of property that the family owned out in the country and very picturesque. In fact, it was raining a bit, a gentle rain before the ceremony that made everybody a little bit nervous. But then when the ceremony was to start, like right on cue, it's like the Lord shut off the taps and, and the rain stopped and out came the bridal party and down came the bride down this makeshift aisle. And it was just a special day of worshiping the Lord and of uniting them in marriage. In fact, in their ceremony, I thought they did something super cool. Like in the, Because it was outside and it was a piece of family property, they did this symbolic picture of the, their, their life together. They planted a tree. I thought that was really, like right in the middle of the ceremony, they went over and they, they planted a tree. Just a beautiful occasion and very special. And remember after the ceremony, talking to the bride's mother and just saying something about, I just can't, I can't believe... Your little girl is married, and she said, I can't believe it either. She said to somebody like this, she said, Ross, it feels like it was just yesterday. She said, the little baby, and I hold her in my arms, and we're just rocking in the rocking chair. And now today, there she is. Goes by fast. Loved ones, that is life. Just like that. So loved one, especially young person. Remember, understand that true joy in your life comes from knowing God. So know him. Know him now. Know him in your youth. As you've, got, you've got maximal road ahead of you. You'll never have longer road ahead of you than you do today. Remember today, your creator, finding your joy in him. Now, to conclude today, I got three things that I want to leave you with. The first thing is a plea to you, whether you're young or old or sitting there trying to figure out which of the two you are, is this, to take stock of your life today. Like, power up the GPS of your life and ask the Lord to show you, where am I right now? Like, am I on course or am I drifting 10, 20, 30, 100 kilometers off course? Where am I right now? Like, to what extent is God, is the person of Jesus Christ at the center of your life? Remember, dear Christian, Jesus died to bring you to God. To bring you from being a person who's separated from God to a person who knows God. And in knowing him now, he is your everything. Jesus died so that you can know God and live for him and enjoy him forever. And when you trust in Jesus, that's the transaction. That's the relationship that is forged. And I would call on you to trust in him. Maybe taking stock of your life right now is real, you're realizing, I need that today. I need God in the center of my life, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. You come see me. I'd be glad to talk with you about how Jesus can help you to forge this kind of relationship with God. But I think of many others here in this room today who are hearing me who recognize that they have a relationship with God, but they have been drifting. I would call on you this morning to take stock of your life. How central is his word to you? Because as central as his word to you is as central as his will is to you. Because he reveals his will for your life in his word. Is it central? Is he, is he your first thought? Like, is he your decisive consideration in your decisions, in your planning, in your pursuing, in your loving? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Another way to say that could be, remember your creator. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's incredible hope. 
Loved one, take stock of your life today. Secondly, recognize the importance of the ministry of older saints to younger saints. Recognize the importance of the ministry of older saints to younger saints. This is actually maybe one of the most obvious things about this text that would be super easy to overlook. It is an older person instructing young people and calling them to rejoice in the life that God has given them. Here, an older man is giving godly wisdom, and it's a terrific picture of the kind of ministry that I think that senior saints can have to young people. Maybe you're a senior saint, a follower of Jesus, in your later years, you've got grandchildren in your life. There's a mission field, brother, sister. There's fertile soil. Or maybe you're an older person just in this church. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Young people want your ministry in their life. They do. Lots of you don't feel like it because lots of reasons. Sometimes you just have a hard time, like, where, where do we start? We don't even know what to say to each other. Well, they want that ministry. They do desire it. And I'm just going to put that challenge there for our senior saints. If you put yourself in that category, this, this is for you. I would challenge you, I would encourage you to take intentional steps to minister to young people who are in our church. You say, how do you do that? Very simple first step, very simple. Take an interest in them. Just take an interest in them. See, so you meet a young person, maybe you don't remember the name, that's fine, that's okay. <laughs> Lots of us have problems with names, no big deal. Remind me your name again. Tell me, what is it you're doing? Are you in school? Now, listen, I'm a, maybe because I'm getting older, I can't tell if a young person is 16 or 26. I don't know. I've asked people what grade they're in, they tell me they're in the last year of university. I'm, I'm sorry. Just, where are you at right now? Tell me. Where are you at right now? Take an interest in them and be listening. What's going on? What do you got coming on this week? Well, maybe they say, well, I don't know, the big thing I got this week is an exam. You got an exam, do you? I'll be praying for you. And then in a week's time, when you see them again, how did the exam go? Now, they will be blessed by the love that's shown by the fact that one, you remembered, but they'll also be encouraged by the fact that you prayed and you're showing an interest. It's just, you're simply showing love. Now, for young people, listen to me, you need to be receptive to this kind of ministry. When an older saint inquires and shows care in your life, you gotta say more than one word. Okay? Or you got to. Or you're, you're going to miss a golden opportunity for you, not just to forge a friendship. You don't have to be a Christian to forge a friendship, but no, but to find godly wisdom and ministry and love in your life. So tell them. When they ask you how it's going, tell them how it's going. Tell them about your love life. Like, seriously, don't want tell them about it. It needs prayer. That older saint is going to pray for you. Your school, your work, your confused. I don't know what to do next. Ask them to pray for you. You need to open up and be a little bit vulnerable to allow them to minister to you. And listen, as you do that, you also will minister to them because you'll reciprocate, won't you? You say, well, tell me, what do you got going on? You know, I'm going to pray for your granddaughter. I'll be praying that God will give you wisdom when you meet with that doctor this week. You see? Recognize the importance of of ministry of older saints to younger saints and then vice versa. Okay, thirdly and finally, and this is a huge one, I want to land here. Rejoice in the life we have in Christ. Hear that word life? Rejoice in the life we have in Christ, the life we have in him right now. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, though the outer self is wasting away, and some of us feel that today, don't we? The outer self is wasting away. It's Ecclesiastes 12, baby. It's happening. He says, though the outer self is wasting away. Here's Paul, an older man at this stage. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So even though the effects of the fall will ravage our bodies, that does not deter or inhibit in any way the work of the spirit in our souls. That yes, there's reality. Yes, there's evil days that come with the, the scourge of the fall and the realities of aging and health and all that comes with that. But that doesn't slow or stop the work of God to renew us in our spirits. 
And if you're trusting in Jesus today, you are, you are as secure today as you were the day when you first trusted him. And he's at work in you. And listen, also too, for those of you who are older who are hearing about this call for younger people, and maybe discouraged and saying, man, I wish I, wish I heard this message you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Well, maybe it would have been nice, but listen, do not underestimate the power of God to make up for the locust years, to take years and time that maybe you could have, maybe you should have used differently, but don't underestimate the ability of God to take whatever you've got left and to use it in ways that will blow your mind. Blow your mind. So don't lose heart. God renewing your heart in Christ Rejoice in the life that we have in Christ now. Rejoice in the life that we have, that we will have in Christ in the future. Because listen, there's coming a day while we see that if the Lord gives us life, there's evil days coming for our bodies. (laughs) But the best is yet to come. Paul says this, in Jesus, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Yeah, you know what? Unless the Lord returns, it's going to go south. But when the Lord returns, it's going to go north. Emphatically. This weak, disease-prone, breaking-down body will be resurrected in the coming day. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we learn in the gospel that just as he was raised from the dead, he's raised us spiritually in him now, but one day will raise us physically. And he will decisively and forever reverse the effects of the fall. And you will have a body that is no longer aching, no longer doubled over, no longer breaking down. You will have ears that hear just fine, thank you very much, and eyes that see great, and a full head of teeth. And you'll have them forever. And that body will be disease-proof. It will be cancer-proof. It will be death-proof. And you will live, and you will find maximal joy in this body that is fit for eternity in a coming day. So, loved one, rejoice, rejoice in the life that you have in Christ, because the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's pray.